Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Welcome to a brand new episode of the Creators Outlet with our special guest tonight, Coolest Geek JBS from Twitter. And the, How are you uh, doing? Thanks for having me, brother. Hey, welcome. We we got we're sorry we started a little late. We just got uh, too busy shooting the crap in the in the green room. We'll call it a green room. Uh, mine's kind of like eggshell light or something, but you know, it's all the same thing. And uh, you know, don't mind my backdrop. Well, my backdrop's kind of cool. I, my, I'm in my daughter, my 14 year old daughter's room. She's Logan Lane, so she's got some Wolverine on the back wall. She likes her Harley Quinn. So I, you know, I got some comics. So this isn't my office here. This is my my daughter's spot here. I'm visiting my kids in New York. So uh, the first thing I got to ask you is, can you make the claws pop out of the Wolverine tattoo on the back of your hand? When I take psychedelic mushrooms. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I it's going to take some drugs uh, <laughs> but I mean I think and I imagine as often as possible yeah that's that's like yeah I know he's a Wolverine fan uh, so you get the Wolverine tattoo I'm in the back Wolverine. of your hand you named your daughter Logan <laughs> well I, honestly Wolverine's not one of my favorite characters like I mean if I was making a top 10 I can't actually say that he's on my top 10 but um, uh, my daughter got, ended up being named. All of my kids are named after superheroes. So Logan Lane is Logan and, and Lois Lane. Uh, Cassidy West is Cassidy from Preacher and Wally West, who's one of my favorite characters in comics. My other son is Grayson Wayne, my other favorite character in comics, Nightwing. And um, and then my daughter is my youngest daughter is Parker Pride, Kitty and and, and Peter. So you know we chose the names that fit the best not necessarily like our favorite characters but it was just sort of a theme of like let's find the the right names for our kids and wolverine was the one so i got this for logan and i got these vampire bites for my son cassidy and i got the spider-man logo and the nightwing logo for my other two. Oh, <laughs> so, and i see the cat shield up top too 
Uh, well, actually, I don't know. It's uh, it, that's actually my, my the little logo that I have for. I had come up with this concept a long time ago. I, I do a podcast now. It just started like five weeks ago. It's called Coolest Geek Alive, and that's why I got back on Twitter and I've been trying to promote things. It's it, it's in its infancy, but you know, we're, we're doing okay. And um, I had. I, I, I'm a writer. I, I've pitched for, I've written for Marvel, I've written for DC, I've written for Disney, Pixar, The Muppets, everything. I, I'm a huge Jim Henson fan, and I had an opportunity to pitch Sesame Street um, when it was moving to HBO. And I don't think my pitches ever got read, but I, I, uh, I really spent time on them, and I write, wrote some really great ones. And um, uh, Try New Foods with Cookie Monster, that was one of my favorites. Uh, try new food, uh, but I like cookies better um and one of them was ernie be good and it was just this this sketch where ernie would show up just like ernie but wearing a leather jacket and in his leather jacket he would hold doors open for people he'd pick up the garbage on the ground he'd do kind things small acts of kindness and these little kids across the street would be observing him and they'd say who's that oh that's the coolest muppet on sesame street ernie be good He's so cool. And the whole idea was to teach kids what it really meant to be cool. What it means to be cool is to be cool to people, to be to be a kind person, to be to to be fun to interact with. And I, I you know, I noted it to Arthur Fonzarelli. I wanted to make Ernie into an Arthur Fonzarelli. Uh, Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, he helped you figure out your problem or he would literally do like fix the problem himself if you needed his help that was the thing don't worry the Fonz is here and he'll either give you the best advice or he's going to do what you know he's going to do what he has to do to help you out and that's that's who i wanted to be so i i came up with this concept of the coolest man alive the man who will do the right thing no matter what and you know it's not a i'm the coolest man alive it's i want to be the coolest man alive so i put this epitaph on my shoulder as the coolest man alive to make myself be a better man and to try to live up to that. It's by always to always show up and be my best self. And uh, when we were doing the the concept for my geek culture breakdown show, um, coolest man alive was turned into coolest geek alive. And, and now that's, you know, the title of the show, but um, you know, so much of, of, of the show and all this stuff is just to get myself back out there the right way and to connect to the comics audience, because you know, if, if you'll let me just share this with you, Will, I am a fan. I'm a mm -hmm. fan. I'm a very talented writer. I, I've won awards since I was in high school. I chose comic books because I love comic books. I could have chosen any fucking field I wanted to write in. I chose comic books. Most writers, I, I won't say most but a lot of the people who write comic books did not choose writing comic books because they thought they could do anything and this was the choice. They chose it because they didn't necessarily think they could do anything and this seemed easier. I don't think comic books are easier. I think comic books are the greatest art form known to man. Uh, Eric Larson, I'm a huge Savage Dragon fan, reading his letter column for years and years and years. His love of comic books as a medium and the way he looked at them and viewed them really uh, enlightened me as a young kid and made me care about the way I wrote comic books and thinking about the audience and caring about the experience they had. And I literally spent uh, from the age of 15 to 25 at least reading about 200 comic books 
per month, 120 to 140 of whatever monthly things I was reading, Marvel, DC, independent, and a certain amount of graphic novels from a historical perspective that mattered to the fans, that mattered to all of the characters that I wanted to write. Because as a reader, as a fan, I decided that the main problem I could see was that a lot of these editors didn't fucking know what the other editors were doing. They weren't actually reading all the books. So the things weren't coordinating very well because people weren't paying attention. They weren't making the time to be aware of what was going on at any given time. And I thought, I can just commit myself to know everything that there is to know that I will come in there and I will be the fucking writer because I'll know what's going on. I'll know what the audience is looking for and I'll be able to frame this stuff in ways that they really enjoy and be able to move things around on the board in a way that the audience is like, yeah, this guy knows what's up. This guy's paying attention. This guy loves the stuff the way I do. And I was really disheartened. Uh, for the past 20 years of my life, I've been breaking into comics, man. And um, I'm very good at what I do. And there's stupid bureaucracy and red tape and nonsense that goes on in this industry that prevents people like me who want nothing more in the world than to satisfy the audience the way I've been satisfied by people like Jeff Johns or Mark Wade or Dan Slott or Jason Aaron or Garth Ennis or any of the people that I've grown up admiring. And I, I, I feel like literally just the industry gets in the way. It gets in the way. Oh, yeah. Having the things the way we would all love to have them. And at a certain point, I literally just gave up. It was crazy. I had given up, and then Scott Snyder reached out to me, and he tried to get me in at D.C. And that was one of the last things that I did because I started getting dicked around at D.C. Because I'd already been at D.C., got dicked around a little bit. I'd been at Marvel, got dicked around a little bit. And sometimes it's not even dicking around. Sometimes people get fired. People move on to other jobs. And, like, that's the editor I knew. Now I don't know an editor. You know, like, and you got to keep kind of changing and hustling. But they're all of the writers and creative people are just kind of competing against each other and are jealous of each other and are fucking weirdos. I'm not jealous. I don't give a shit. I just love comics and I want to see the best comics made that can possibly be made. You know, that's my motivation. And like, I was just always there to sort of make friends. You like comics? I like comics. Let's be friends. You know, <laughs> like it, for me, it was a very pure thing. And I got all of that purity just kind of beaten out of me by disappointment after disappointment. Um, you know, projects that should have went down, that never went down, superficial decision-making, so many things. And a few years ago, I just started to go, this is for the birds. I am going to take the power back in this situation. I'm going to do comic books on my own, the way they're supposed to be done. I'm going to freaking pay people right. I'm going to treat people right. And I'm going to make some shit that I've never seen before. And that was when I started work on King of Kings. I started work on a book that, you know, maybe if, you, if you're an Image Comics reader, uh, Image put out our book. It was a music comic book album. It's called Blacklight District uh, Six Issues. And it was a one shot. Chris Burnham did our cover. It's fucking awesome. We have six different artists interpreting these songs with little three page uh, comic books. And um, I started making a lot of things, but I was putting it all on the line, spending a lot of money and, um, you know, just trying to make things as great as I could, you know, paying people the top of, you know, the, the right salary, not like, can I do it a little less? Can you do it a little less? Can you do it a little less? Paying people. 
and incentivizing people. Like everybody owns a piece of King of Kings. Me and Mark Holton, who co-created it, and we're the writers. And then my artist, David Witt, he owns a little piece. And our color artist, he owns a little piece. And Four Horsemen Studios, who did the color designs for our characters, they own a little piece. And our letterer, he even owns a little piece. You know, so for me, it was very important that all of these people who were contributing artistically to this experience, like, you know, if we were success, I wanted to see everybody be a success. I want to see the community of comic books, community of comic book uh, creators be able to feed themselves, <laughs> to be able to feed their families. And, um, you know, none of us own anything when Marvel does well or DC does well or any other yep. shit. And most of we have image. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and a lot of kind of weirdo squabbling goes on there, too, when it comes to like, you know, image. Oh, yeah things and opportunities and stuff and it, it's just so lame you know i called my company the killer rabbits company because i really see myself as a fucking care bear that had to like put on armor because the world sucks so bad and i'm just like here i am care bear stand <laughs> oh what's happening I, I mean, oh! you know like being attacked by all the evil in the world and and all i wanted to do was be a part of the goodness that was Superhero comic books and science fiction and the, the unlimited budget of comic books, the fact that you can tell an artist to draw this and, 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 and it, right out of their imagination, here's the thing, you know, that, that's my favorite thing. Comic books are my favorite thing. And I've put so much hard work and love into every script, every pitch. Man, if you're a Marvel fan or you're a DC fan, dude, if you went into my freaking folders in my computer and started reading the shit that I had planned, that I was ready to do. The Blade pitch that I had before they launched that stupid Blade X-Men crossover. That Blade pitch, it was I was told it was one of the greatest pitches that Marvel had ever seen. Didn't fucking matter. It took them eight months to present that pitch to the higher-ups at Marvel, and by the time they did, it was no longer perfect timing, which it was perfect timing when I fucking wrote it and sent it to them. And then Eight months later, oh, no, sorry, we, we got some asshole to uh, do an X-Men Blade crossover. That's how we're going to bring him back. No, that was a stupid way to bring him back. A good way to bring him back was the way I was bringing him back, which was introducing Blade into the Marvel Universe as a science fiction vampire. That is the thing that the movies introduced to Blade that really made a difference in that character and made that character interesting. And science fiction is what works the best in Marvel. You know, fucking Hulk blood and shit. That's fun to play on conventions of vampires and science fiction ways in the Marvel Universe. You know, something that will intellectually stick with the audience and last for forever. Not some cheap cash grab where we make a bunch of the X-Men vampires so we can cross over Blade. Like, it's just like, that's a, we have no faith in the character Blade. So we're going to do it like this. Yeah, I know. I've actually got those issues. Uh, they're really not not good. I mean, I could I I just looked through them at the stands at the time because I was so heartbroken. I had put so much time into that. I invented a character that was similar to Whistler because they couldn't use Whistler, so we had a character called Hummer who who has legs blown off in the war and he was in a little wheelchair um, instead of the Whistler. He's the Hummer, and um, and then we had I had a, an evil Daywalker who was this guy with a reverse albino skin condition, so we had this pitch black skin, and he was a Daywalking vampire like blade and then we had these higher up vampires who were like in between dracula and Vernet. Vernet, if you ever seen he's like this monstrous vampire that created all the vampires so they looked mm -hmm. like nosferatu they were right in the middle and they were the nosferati and we had like i remember the issue ended with him flying over in an airbus that carries like 300 and something people and they're coming out of their coffins that are in the storage compartment 
and then you see just like all hell's breaking loose on the plane as the plane crashes and then 300 vampires freshly made with dracula level abilities come out of the wreckage because basically the nosferatu i mean the, the virus of vampirism the stronger you get to the original strand the more potent is the virus of the mm -hmm. virus so it was if the nosferatu vampires bite you you've got dracula level vampire powers and at the beginning of the book blade literally it was called blade and the day stalkers and there was a quote on the cover it said what sort of idiots stalk vampires at night and the opening book was blade and his team setting the city on fire during the daytime all of the vampire holdouts they were on fire these buildings are burning and people are jumping out of the windows on fire and to the normies it looked like somebody had committed this terrible terrorist act but really it was just blade going i don't give a fuck and going after the vampires because he figured out where they were and uh and so it was a really great setup it was so, there were so many great things that we were going to do with that damn book i had just 30 issues of, of shit planned because I can't help myself. And, and I just, I started to see where it could go and all the things we could do with it. And I waited eight months just being patted on my head and told how great the pitch was. And that, and then just, Oh, sorry, we waited too long to present it to people. And now it can't be done. And I mean, literally I could, I could give you freaking 30 different stories like that for every different franchise from Archie and the Ninja Turtles and like, oh my God. I mean, like really when I start to think about it, it makes me sad because it's just how much love and time I put into all these things and doing these things right. But decisions aren't made based on the quality and based on, you know, the, the people being the right men for the job. They're, they're based on all these stupid superficial, like how's it going to look when we announce it on Twitter kind of shit by like, executives who don't know their freaking ass from their elbow they don't feel cool they were freaking lame in high school and lame in middle school and now they're adults out in the comics business and they're lame now as far as they're concerned they don't trust their opinion they don't have good taste i i'm raised by a rock star i trust my opinion i know what kind of music i like i know what kind of comic books i like i know what a good movie is and i can tell you what it is and i can recreate it for you because i am a discerning audience who's not afraid to know that yes that is correct this is correct that's correct that's incorrect that's correct that's incorrect you know people are very like uh, 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 the reason why most musicians uh you know don't take so long to get discovered is because most of these executives they don't trust their own opinions. And it takes them seeing a thousand people respond to an artist before they're like, hmm, maybe this will be a success. Look at all the people. Look how happy those people are. As opposed to somebody listening to somebody and going, oh, my God, that was beautiful. What a great song you wrote. I think you're really talented. Let me help you. That doesn't happen. It's a bunch of scared people going, mm, I, don't, I don't know. And then somebody's like, oh, so-and-so introduced to me. He's Madonna's cousin. And they're like, oh, you're Madonna's cousin? Well, maybe well, we got, I got Jeff over here. He's Madonna's cousin. Like, who gives a shit? Can he sing? Can, can he freaking write a song? Can he write a comic book? Can they tell a cohesive narrative that we're going to give a shit about? And comics, general, even when we do have great people, they don't support them. And, and as a fan for years, I would follow writers. I remember meeting Will Pfeiffer for the first time. If you've never read any of Will Pfeiffer's greatness, Will Pfeiffer wrote a great run in of Aquaman where they did this sub Diego thing. I think it only lasted eight issues for some reason because they didn't really back him up. But holy shit, in those eight issues, he demonstrated 
He was great. He was also writing that Dial H for Hero book at the time. That was great. And that was like a fan favorite book that people were really loving. And it lasted way longer than it should. Dial H for Hero is not a fucking huge title. But Will Pfeiffer was writing such great stuff that people were following it. And then he got put on that Amazon's attack book and basically got blamed for it sucking. And he didn't come up with the idea for that stupid miniseries Amazon's attack. That was an, an editorial mandate. And he got assigned that job. And then everybody was like, this guy stinks because of that book. And then the, the editorial stopped supporting him because they gave him an assignment that people didn't enjoy. And they're like, oh, well, now people think he's not good because we gave him a bad assignment. And they, they didn't, they don't support these writers it took it took jeff johns leaving for marvel before they fucking finally went oh, oh, oh no come back jeff no no no, you're really good we're gonna we're gonna promote the flash and we're gonna promote jsa better and, and we're gonna treat you like you're the best writer at dc comics he was the best writer at dc comics for years and the industry just and then finally he went oh well i guess i'll go over to marvel and i'll write some avengers since i'm not appreciated and then all of a sudden oh Oh, now DC seems to to know that Jeff's a great writer and that they shouldn't just let him wander over to Marvel and lose the great thing that they've got going on. If that can happen to Jeff Johns, imagine what's going to happen to you. People just, they, they just think so superficially. It, it's unbelievable to me. Yeah, the, the big two are kind of like uh, spinning comics at a radio station, right? It's like, well, I'm the DJ. I get to pick the music. No, the program director picks all the music and it's already pre-programmed in digitally. And you better hit your stops and starts on time because if you miss it, one, you're going to be out. And two, you got to fill out this 32 page report and triplicate to uh, the federal government of, of why you screwed up a commercial break. Yeah, you're on the money, Will. People are so fucking like nervous to lose their jobs. And I mean, honestly, I can't blame them. Uh, I remember my my first my, my first professional work was at Marvel. It didn't end up coming out first. I had other things that came out before it, even though my first paid to write something was a Marvel story. It took about, I want to say, four years to come out. It was a Marvel com uh, not Marvel, yeah, Marvel Comics Presents eight-page Deadpool story. It was supposed to be in the first issue. Deadpool, in fact, is on the cover of this Marvel Comics Presents. It was a fold-out cover, and Deadpool's on the cover because Deadpool was supposed to, that Deadpool short was supposed to be early in the run of Marvel Comics Presents. Of course, the sales on that book are getting less, all these anthologies, they always get less and less and less over time, and they kept pushing the Deadpool story. Pushing it to late. It was one of the editor's favorite stories, but it kept getting pushed. And then the editor left the company. And then a new editor was brought in. And then that new editor finally got the book out four and a half years later. Before that book even come out, though, he gets me a new assignment. I do a Hulk inventory story with my buddy Steve Kurth. That book took two and a half to three years to come out. Oh, um, and that guy got fired once again. Or fought, and I don't think he got fired. He left the company. And then I got a new editor. So like within my first two years at Marvel, nothing came out. <laughs> I was still waiting like another year or two before those books actually came out. And my editors changed three times. Not to, not to even mention, my real first foot in the door at Marvel was Axel Alonso had read a two-part Punisher story I wrote. I wrote called me up, told me, this is a better first draft than most of the people who work for me. 
Within a month, he was promoted to the special projects manager. Basically, he was working with J. Michael Strignitsky on um, the Supreme Powers book and on the miniseries for Nighthawk and um, Hyperion. He ripped off my fucking idea for a Joker villain, a kind of a Joker-like villain for the Punisher who had scars carved into his face for his smile. They heavily promoted that in the Nighthawk miniseries. And then, of course, David Goyer picked it up for his Dark Knight Returns just about a year later. So that was really funny as my good idea for a Punisher villain got repurposed by Axel Alonso as he got promoted out of the ability of helping me as an up-and-coming writer. And I never got to work with Axel. Axel was one of my favorite fucking editors who had edited one of my favorite series of all time, Preacher. And I was so excited. And literally years later, before friends of mine went, hey, Jesse, there's a Marvel Comics Presents uh, project. You can pitch stories for that. And my first pitch for that didn't get approved because the editor who was editing the book had not read a recent miniseries that Marvel had put out. They put out a book called Identity Disc. In that book, Vulture's daughter, not daughter, his granddaughter or grandniece or whatever, somebody related to him, has cancer. And he's doing this big crime to go help his his uh, granddaughter who's got the cancer. And I wrote this great story about just sort of like a guy. It was just a little, it, it was meant to win me an Eisner Award. It was just about a guy who was down in his luck. He hands his bottom dollar a dollar that says congratulations on it. It was from his business. And he hands it to this bartender and he's like getting drunk at the bar. And the guy is like, what is this? I'm not taking this. And this is like from a business. And what happened? What's your story? And the guy tells him the story. And basically his kid get, get hit in the head with a brick by a gang for defending uh, somebody that was being attacked. And uh, he did something heroic. This gang came back, hit him with a brick. He ended up in a coma. The prices for the medical bills to keep his son alive were too expensive, and they lost the building. He had to send his, his lost the business. Had to send his whole family back home, and he's waiting to get on a boat to go back home so that he can be with his family again. And there's a guy who's in the 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 building with a trench coat on, and you can't see him, and he's got a big duffel bag, and he brings the duffel bag over to this guy after he tells the story. He goes, "Here, you know, uh, you dropped this." And he walks out the building and the guy opens up the bag and it's filled with money. And he goes running outside and to, to like, what? Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. And you see off in the distance, there's a silhouette of what looks like an angel as we pull really, really high into the sky of New York City. And then all of a sudden we start moving in on the next page down into New York City and we hear a conversation going on. And it's Spider-Man talking to the vulture. And he says, where's the money, vulture? And the vulture says, I told you, I gave it away. And Spider-Man punches him in the face, hanging upside down from a web, just uncertain, yeah, right. And he's like, there's there's no reason, like, like there's no precedent for the vulture to do this. And I'm like, you literally just promoted a fucking miniseries for the past year called Identity Disc, starring Deadpool and Juggernaut, whatever, with a vulture demonstrating that he has a heart. I literally based it on something that you're doing, but because you haven't read it, it doesn't seem as though it complements the things that you're already doing. And then I turned in my Deadpool story, which got picked up. I didn't hear about that for a month. And, you know, my Deadpool story was just fucking having fun with Deadpool. You know, making jokes, cracking jokes, having fun. But I tried to do something that really would demonstrate my value as a writer right off the bat. And right off the bat, editor couldn't even recognize that I was playing to things that they were doing in their books. Spinning, spinning off stories. You know why? Because uh, not every editor is a Julie Schwartz. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And... Yeah. Uh, 
I think a lot of the downfall was when the big comic companies turned on their bread and butter, that being the comic shop industry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When they started trying to court, you know, I, I've been in the industry during that period of time. I, I watched as, uh, you know, as Joe Casada started really encouraging all of his employees, all of his writers, all of his artists to get on social media and be more like Brian Michael Bendis, be more like Warren Ellis, create a blog for yourself, connect individually with these, you know, these uh, fans out there. And that was the beginning of this social normative political like like just everybody just talking about what their personal feelings on politics are which to me just destroys the enjoyment of fiction when every single person has been so uh out in the open about who they are and what they believe that it slants every story you read from them you know people like to talk about how uh, chuck dixon's a, a republican dude Go read some of his books. You can't tell what his fucking political denomination is based on reading his books. And that's how it's supposed to be. He's a brilliant writer. His freaking political uh, idea, I, I, you know, ideology doesn't matter. It doesn't enter in to any of the things that we're doing. Comic book, I mean, all fiction, all stories are about polarity. You go to the left. You go to the right. You go to the left. You go to the right. You know, everybody can tell the, the movie. You're like, oh, everything's not going so good. You know, it, or everything's going really good. And then, oh, it's not so good. Oh, it's getting better. Oh, it's not so good. Oh, you know, like, that's it. It goes up and it goes down. Because it goes up and it goes down, it works best when we're exploring the left and we're exploring the right. We're making you understand the left. We're making you understand the right. The moment you start writing everything from the left, you're just making us understand the left side of the left and the right side of the left or the left side of the right and the right side of the left. That is a disservice to art. That is a disservice to humanity. We need to be making art that helps us see each other's perspectives, not making art that's just for an audience that's guaranteed to love it. That's not how it goes. It's interpretation. Hey, let me read this thing. Hey, what'd you think of it, Jeff? Oh, I kind of liked it. I like this about it and that about it. I didn't really like this. Oh, really? I like that about it. Why didn't you like it? And, you know, like, that's how it should be. That's the best world of comics. Those are the conversations in the comics and things and people talking about morality, talking about how Captain America should have handled that, talking about whether or not Superman should fucking kill somebody, talking about whether or not the Punisher is right for what he's doing, or, you know, all these things. It's, it, it's this is the way we grow. As a humanity, it's the way we grow as moral people by looking at different variations on morality and seeing how they bunch up against each other, not demonizing anybody who is not following one path. And that's what's happening now so big time in the mainstream comics. And it's just like they've really lost the plot as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, I just the stories are supposed to be all encompassing. Not yeah. here's my here's my narrow view of the world right now and everybody in here is going to be fighting for that and it's like stop weaponizing your fan base exactly weaponization of the fan uh, my, my friend Aaron had come up with a really good saying for it uh, fantagonism mm -hmm. stop the fantagonism I mean literally CBR bleeding cool every fucking one of these comic book journalism sites 
has switched their business model into saying things that fly in the face of what people who actually love this stuff think so that they might aggravatingly share it online with other people to see that we said something that pissed everybody off because they saw that when they pissed people off, Oh my God, they got clicks. Yep. So that we're just like, literally I can go through CBR. And like the other day I did this with my daughter. I was like, I said, Logan, this is hysterical. I'm like, I'm reading this website. I just have read uh, like 50 headlines. And I want to tell you, honestly, about 30 of the headlines that I just read are patently false just from the headline based on what I already know about the thing. They are going out of their way to say things in ways that bother people like me, that bother people that actually fucking know what they're talking about. And then when we come out and we call them on their bullshit and we say, you didn't do your homework, you don't know what you're talking about. They say, why do you care so much? And I'll get cry, baby, cry, cry, cry. You know, man, I, I care about these things. I want my kids to have the Muppets. I want my kids to have Marvel Comics and DC Comics. I don't want to see these things go away. You don't care about them as much as I do, so you don't think it's that big of a deal to get them right. But I know that the reason why they worked in the first place was because the good was that good. The good yep. was unforgettable and you are making forgettable shit. And the more you do this, the more you like just take the pool and just blur everything into it. Now it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's a multiverse. Oh, the multiverse is going to kill our care about this stuff. And the moment we don't care anymore, that money. Yeah, makes Mar Marvel was never the multiverse. Marvel was always like, New York, New York City, L.A., uh, Florida, like actual places. The whole world, the world, the, the world around you. Yeah, um, DC you know, was always the multiverse. Reflect the world around you. I think that was Stan's line. Was, yeah, uh, I wanted the Marvel Universe to reflect the world around you. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it, it, it's it's so. The, the the worst thing about it, honestly, is if we think about it like this, perfect example. Let's say Mark Wade is Superman. And let's say Ethan Van Skyver is Batman. Are you not disappointed in our Justice League? And I know that there's a lot of people who like who feel very attacked and you know and, and they're defending Ethan. I love Ethan. I really do appreciate Ethan. But at the same time, Ethan, me, you, all of us, we're supposed to represent something better. We're here because we believe in something better. Haven't you read these comic books? I know he has. I know he has. But he's behaving like some asshole. And so is Murray. And so are all these people. Don't behave like an asshole because they're behaving like an asshole. You know, the first 20 years of my life, I spent behaving like an asshole because other people were being an asshole to me. And I retaliated. I fought back just the way they fought back. In fact, I doubled down. You're going to take one of my eyes, I'll take two of your eyes. And that's what Ethan Van Skyver is doing right now. But that's not what the world needs. What the world needs is one of these motherfuckers 
And I thought it should be Mark Wade, but apparently no. You know, that that he's just as much in a, nah, I'm going to bluster and I'm going to freaking insult. And, and that's it. It's just a lot of blustering and a lot of insulting. And I understand that they started first, Ethan, and you were just minding your own business ultimately. And all of a sudden people, people wanted to cancel you for being you. And that's not fucking fair. But <laughs> at the same time, I would love to see the world where freaking Ethan or somebody can turn the other damn cheek and be better than this and get the freaking Justice League back together and bring all of my friends and all of the, this industry and this community back into harmony with one another. It used to be that if you told me that you read comics, I knew we were on the same page. I went to freaking WonderCon with my buddies a couple weeks ago, and we were just noting what a weird energy the whole convention had. And we basically pinpointed it down to everybody's kind of unsure who everybody is now, because it seems like there's all these sides and lines. Who are you? Are you a comic skater? Are you not a comic skater? Like, Holy shit, it used to be fandom. Now it's which part of fandom are you with? Oh, yeah, man. it's it's going to a convention now is kind of like being in the middle of New York City waiting for the gang fight from West Side Story to take place without yeah, the you start snapping and dancing, pop out the knives. <laughs> That's making me think of the, the little weasel from the fantastic Mr. Fox. I love that fucking movie. Next <laughs> was it WonderCon? Oh, you're at WonderCon? Yeah, WonderCon was great, man. But, but I mean, WonderCon was great because I'm happy to be at conventions. I love conventions. Mm. Honestly, as a convention, the tone, the vibe, it's different. It's different and not in a good way. Yeah. And, you know, but but at the same time, though, I am like, I, like, I really feel like those. The left, the left, they have aligned with the mainstream. I hate the mainstream. The mainstream can go fuck itself. And these people, they used to be my peers in not aligning with the mainstream. The Heidi McDonald's of the world. We're fucking punks. What the fuck happened to you assholes? You're working with the, the mainstream. You're not freaking yes. fighting the system. You are the system. You are the system, and you're gatekeeping the system now. And you're being an asshole the same way they were assholes, just in your own new, unique way. But you're assholes, too. They were they assholes. They turned. You're assholes. To go along, to get along, because they didn't want to lose their job at the company because they thought they were prestigious and something special. Well, well, I'm sorry, your mommy lied to you. Yeah, and now you're nothing I don't special about these companies anymore. For me, I'm just like I'm waiting to see somebody take the power back, and I'm like, all right, well, if, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I keep having to live life. You know, I went through a divorce just five years ago. Oh, I've been away from my kids. There's been so many things in my life that have been happening, and I've literally just been watching my industry. Like, I, I want to help. I want to form. You know the right kind of alliances that open doors to help people make great things. You know, there was a minute where I was, I was looking at trying to get a big investment and, and trying to put together a, a business model where I was going to be a company designed to create the best art that comic books had ever seen by facilitating the financial needs of the greatest artists and creators so that they could take the time to make their greatest work. 
and that you know this little it would be a charity thing where profits from that book would go back into the company to help us create future works with other creators and that we would just do a thing at a time with the rest creators and say what do you want to do what's the thing that you've always wanted to draw who do you want to write it let's put together the team let's get the perfect people we'll pay whatever we have to pay to make sure it's brilliant and it's great and just do one thing at a time one great book one great project that demonstrated its merit by itself and you know somebody's got to do something like that i mean there are things happening like that now with you know these kickstarters and stuff i, I the the best creators are not uh, have not necessarily gotten there yet and uh, you know there's a lot of really enterprising creators who are coming along and uh, you know there's people like Ethan Vinskyver you know there there are some but like I think a lot of people like me were very intimidated by the idea of like, oh, I got to go promote my own book. Like I have to promote it and I have to build the site. I have to print it and I have to send everything out. I got to make all this stuff. Like that's a tall order. You really have to change your whole brain. You, you get into this place where you're like, I pitch ideas. They pitch me ideas. I write scripts. I hand them to them. That's it. You know, that's my, that's my participation. The idea of really having to do it all by yourself. It's, it's a lot, but there are so many creators who could benefit from the system. And, uh, you know, the moment I succeed, that's it, man. Fucking the roof is off because I know half this industry and I people love me. Uh, you know, my, my one credit that I give myself, I know people appreciate me for how much I care about what I do. And every artist that I've ever worked with, from Marco Cicchetto, who drew my very first story that I ever wrote for Marvel, and Steve Kurth, and uh, you know David Witt, and, and Nathan Watson, and anybody I've ever worked with says, I'll work with you anytime you want. And I got people like my buddy Dan Kramer, uh, Don Kramer, who's a great Batman artist, and you know he's been he and I've been waiting to do something. And I got a list of people who I want to work with who are great artists, people who have honestly People have forgotten all about these people because they're not exactly getting work anymore because the industry's gotten so weird and it's so selective about who they hire for because they're casting all these books instead of hiring great journeyman comic book artists and journeyman comic book writers, uh, you know, and 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 journey ladies. You know, if, if this fucking world was really the the way that they're saying it was, Marjorie Liu would be the biggest fucking writer at Marvel and DC Comics. She's a brilliant writer and she's. She doesn't have a lot of work. Why doesn't Marjorie Wu have a lot of work? She's, uh, you know, an, an Asian lady. She's a lady. These are all the things that we want. Well, because it's not about the right people for the jobs. It's about the fucking stupid politicking bullshit. You know, there yeah. are talented people who you could hire. Hire them. Nope. It's, it drives Diverse, me Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Such a diss and an insult to somebody like Marjorie Lou, who is actually a really talented female writer. You know, it, it, that's great. It means something when you're like, well, you know, they're not, they're, they're, they're on the whole, there's not as many really brilliant female comic book writers who write great superhero comics. And then when somebody like Marjorie Lou shows up and is killing it, it's like, fuck yeah, this guy's great. You know, this girl's great. I'm going to freaking follow this chick. But she doesn't get the support. It's like, you know, cha -cha 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 -cha. they love to talk about all this shit. But the way they do it, it's the same fucking system as it ever was. It's still about drinking buddies. It's still about politicking. It's still about ass kicking, kissing. And, you know, whatever. I, you know, I, I can only uh, ass kiss so much before I, I, I need to burn it all down. So now for me, it's just about literally just 
making an island away from this stupid public conversation. I don't want to hear the things that come out of their mouths anymore. They have just lost the plot of the movie. The plot of the movie is making great stuff that everybody loves, making great stuff that inspires people. We have lost that. Yeah, uh, 100%. Because it's, I mean, it's even like a major diss to Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, it is. I want my children to be judged by the content of their character. Yep. And they tried to roll out a uh, a narrative either last year or the year before that, oh, no, Martin Luther King's racist. What? And they don't teach any of this stuff in school anymore. So nobody knows anything. Like, all these kids are like, yeah, yeah, a plane crashed into a building and people died. Why are you so upset about 9-11? Because I was there and two of my cousins died in one of the towers. Cousins that I had never met. <laughs> Dude, I'm from New York, man. I freaking, you know, my, 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 some of my best friends are firefighters and, um, you know, and, and their fathers are firefighters and I've got freaking fathers with throat cancer from inhaling all the freaking explosive that they were freaking detonated on that day. You know, like, like I'm I'm full on conspiracy theorist. Like, and it's not conspiracy theory. All the shit that I fucking know and have known gets proved a few years later after a bunch of idiots spend time denying it, not knowing that I am sitting here studying and paying attention, not like you. You're worried about your social status. I'm not. I'm worried about how fucking smart I am and how useless I can, how useful I can be to this planet. And I can't be useful if I don't understand what the fuck is going on here because none of it makes any damn sense. And when you look at the stupid shit that's going on with all of these, the, like, how is it that there seems to be a uniform attack on American culture all at once? Marvel, DC, freaking um, uh, Pixar. Um, Disney Animation, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, all at once. All oh, at yeah. once. Everything needs to change and be this one thing. What fucking suspicious shit is this? Who, who decided all of a sudden everything was playing exactly by this rule? At, at its most innocent, it's a bunch of assholes being superficial and monkey see, monkey doing because my friend said this and now I'm going to follow him. But I don't believe that anything happens for no fucking reason. Clearly, there is a choice being made from the tippy, tippy top of things. And the tippy, tippy top of things are cis men. You know the cis men you keep trying to call us? They're still running things. They're just making you think that something's changed. Nothing has changed. You're still a fucking slave. You're still a fucking fool. So am I. We're in the same slave ship. And you're trying to smack me in the face because I'm saying stop fighting. Stop being such petty idiots and recognize that we're being manipulated so that money can do what money wants to do. It, yep. it's, it, it has nothing to do with us and the fact that we are so easily fooled and the fact that comic book writers who I saw as pillars of society, anybody who was admiring Superman like I was or admiring Spider-Man and admiring what these characters were doing every day, you know, something, doing something to make the world a better place. Well, 
Those are my people. Those are the people I want to stand with. And as it turned out, the moment they had the opportunity, the moment they had the upper hand on the situation, they became just like the people they hate. And I don't hate them for it, but I am sad. I'm really sad. Yeah, I'm like, a lot of a lot of the stuff is just ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, even though I didn't, I was a fan of his, but I didn't, you know, lean his way politically or socially that much. But guess what? George fucking Carlin was right about everything. Oh, you're right about it. There's a big club and you're not fucking in it. As long as, as my, my friend Aaron always loves to freaking quote. Aaron Sparrow uh, was a writer of Darkwing Duck uh, comic books. He's a brilliant editor. He and I have been best friends for years. I, we started working together at, at Boom Kids many, many years ago when I was writing Toy Story. And uh, we've been best friends ever since. We're both big toy guys big fans you know he's a big star trek guy i'm mean, a big star wars guy i'm a big star trek guy and uh you know but we're both big toy guys big comic book dudes and um you know we, we just this is all we talk about just how disheartened we are and disappointed we are by this industry and how much better everything could be if they would just let somebody like he and i in charge and it's there's a lot of people like us on the periphery of things who who get it and 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 we're trying we're trying to speak sense you know, people like Perch and, you know, there's there's plenty of people, you know, Wes from Thinking Critical, I go on his show sometimes, you know, we're, we're not, we're trying to play your stupid game and not trigger you, but point out that the emperor has no fucking clothes. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. he's got no clothes. I understand where you're coming from, what you're trying to do, but the emperor has no fucking clothes on and you're acting as if he does. That just makes me want to say, "Oh, Skywalker!" <laughs> I just, I, I just spent my past couple of days rewatching The Force Awakens for reference and The Last Jedi, so I could tear it apart on my podcast. Um, because that movie is such a great example of mismanagement of a brand. Um, like a, a, a very poor adaptation, even though there's a lot of good things that go on it. You know, it's very devi- de- divisive that movie because they do do a lot of things well. And I understand why some people came away going, oh, I kind of like this. There's some things to like about that movie. Unfortunately, as a center chapter to a trilogy, it's devoid of logic. It, yeah. It, like halfway through and that, life. Yeah. Halfway through that movie as a writer, I went, oh, my God. Oh, my God the writer and director of this movie has fucked up the third movie. They're not going to be able to fix what he's just done. What he just did here is going to screw them for movie number three. I can't believe that they are this short-sighted. And this is what happens when you get people into rooms who are really good at schmoozing and pitching themselves, but not so good at pitching freaking stories and understanding how things work logically in ways that make an audience feel like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I'm following it. I'm into it. It's not very hard to do. You know, we're talking about uh, on my show is talking about uh, how they don't watch enough wrestling. 
You know, when you need to introduce a new character, the, the Rock didn't go over and become the Rock that we know until they made him a heel. He had a heel turn. Classically, in you know, in, in wrestling, you make a guy a bad guy a lot of times, and they, especially if they're handsome, the audience doesn't want to like them. So they make him the bad guy. They and if they have any juice with the bad guy thing, eventually people like them so much they become the good guy, and then it turns around again. And and it's like things with how Marvel's introducing Kang right now. Hey, we, he's our new Thanos. No, he's not. Thanos showed up in a number of movies in little cameos where he was teased as being an ominous presence that they were eventually going to have to deal with. And the first time we really see him, he wins. Kang just got his ass handed to him by Loki. His ass handed to him by Ant-Man of all characters in the Marvel Universe. So now what? Kang's going to show up a third time, and the audience is now going to retroactively decide, oh, he's scary. No, he's not scary. He gets beat all the time. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, uh, I have something, I'm just scanning through my notifications from earlier, because there was something about the actor that plays Kang. Um yeah, looks like he... <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, I feel bad for him. I honestly, like, you know, when I see these things and, like, something comes, listen, man, everybody has freaking low points and hard times, and I am, thou shall not judge is some really good advice. And, like, yeah. I cannot see and know everything. It is not my place to get involved in other people's affairs. It's not my place to assume the worst about people because of one little piece of information or whatever. And seeing he got dropped by this and he got dropped by that. He lost that job and he lost. What do we really know? Do we really know that he freaking deserves to have all these terrible things happen upon him? I, I don't know. And I, and I would always err on the side of giving people the benefit of the doubt. I think most people are doing the best they can. I think some people are living very unconsciously. And they're just not seeing the effect they're having on the world. They're not actually recognizing who they are and what they're bringing to the party. You know, I love Mark Wade. Mark Wade is one of my mentors. He was the editor-in-chief at Boom Studios when I was there working. Mark is a very kind guy. He's a very good guy. When I see certain things that he says online or does online, I get very uncomfortable and very disappointed because his favorite character is Superman. You know that? Mark Wade's favorite character is Superman. Mark, be the Superman. Be the Superman. You recognize the value of Superman, right? Be him. And not the Superman from the 70s played by played by Chris that got drunk in the bar and was flicking peanuts through like 1.75 ounce bottles not, of Jack not Daniels. Not that one. No. Yeah. No, not that one. So how long have you been doing this and like what kind of like this this all like came about to help to help people promote their stuff when they were doing fundraisers and stuff? Can I talk a little bit about uh, about the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've already got the uh, the Kickstarter link for people to sign up. You got to read it, right? What did you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I mean, and I'd love some feed for some feedback. You know, I, I mean, I, I think I think it's it's um, you know it's lighthearted fun that with disguised as blasphemy but it's really yeah. fun that's, that, that, that's what i told you i go oh i kind of got a little triggered i felt like a snowflake like and the first page one of the lines is before jesus i'm like well god is jesus there's, there's nothing before this it like triggered my 
my Christian side, and I'm like, well, calm down, douchebag. Well, if you go read, back- read the whole thing through, and you get to the second page, I'm like, oh, I get it. It's a battle of the bands, and one of the bands is, and I'm like, okay. So- the Norse, like they come after the Egyptians. So, like, if you actually go, like, onto a, like, a time period, th- there are religions that came before, you know, like, obviously, the Old Testament, and this was the Jews. And then the New Testament, and, the, you know, like, so there are different religions that didn't come about into a long thing. So that line was just sort of saying, many years before there was any idea about Jesus and, and that religion, there was this other idea about these gods of rock, you know, these, you know, and the, the, we talk a little bit about it as the book goes on. Uh, the sort of the mentality of the Norse religion was like that you had to die fighting to go to Valhalla. And we actually broke it down, I think, in a really beautiful way. We said die fighting doesn't mean that you go barreling into every stupid battle you see. It means that you don't give up on what you believe and what you love, that you fight for everything. You fight for the beauty and the love of this world. You fight for the people you care about. You die fighting for what you you, you want and what you represent. And it was just more of an ideological that you never stop working for what you want. You never stop working for better. And, uh, you know, like all these ideas, all these religious ideas, they're all, um, on some level, they're all equal. You know, like somebody might go, oh, this is the one that I respond to. And this is the one that I think is more right or less right but at the end of the day they're all just kind of ideas about the way that we should treat each other and a lot i mean seriously even if you go into the the quran i've done a lot of research on religion at this point especially for writing this book um most of the ideas are simpatico (laughs) you know you can take lines out of the, the out of this book and lines out of this book and you go look here they are all next to each other it's all saying the exact same thing and fine nowadays you see memes all the time where they'll some people somebody will take a line that is literally like in every major holy book and look it says it in the vedas it says it here just over and over and over again we know that we are one we know that we got to do unto others as we would want others to do unto us you know these are the important tenets of most religions granted then every religion has people who are representing it, and they have um, different little dogmas and differences here and there based on the cultures that they came from, where they were developed from, and whatnot. And it's those littler differences that end up making us fight. And your God's not my God, and my like, like for me as a person who's become very spiritual, uh, it's, it's my suspicion that all of the God that everybody's talking about, it's all the same God. It's all just one infinity. There's one infinity and we're all describing it in lots of different ways. So the idea of being able to kind of put them all in the same room so that they could be seen as one thing instead of, you know, what they're presented with and, and they don't even know that there's si- there's 16 religious 16 practical religions on planet earth there's 16 religions in this battle of the bands there's some people who have no idea that there's that many options of like ways to discuss this thing or way to think about these things and i really just felt like if we could kind of uh, throw out the window all this like all the pretense of all these things and all the seriousness and just kind of laugh about it a little bit. Um, the same way Monty Python made me laugh in the life of Brian, that, that that could really be catharsis, especially for people like me. Uh, you know, I generally try not to like 
make ever make this the focus of, of conversations about me because I like people to see me for, for who I am. But my father's a, a rock star. And when I was growing up, there was a lot of people who were who would judge my father and my family based on the fact that he was a rock musician. And to them, that meant he was a drug addict and he was a womanizer and he was all these things. My dad's not any of these things. My dad's straight edge. He literally doesn't drink doesn't do drugs, but he gets up on stage and dresses up as a woman, you know, <laughs> you know as, a, as a giant transvestite and twisted sister um, for many years. And people thought this guy must be on cocaine, must be on this. And I would literally have parents like pull their children away from playing with me because I might be this terrible influence. Had people tell me that I was going to hell. I felt very judged. Meanwhile, like I'm a Jim Henson disciple. He's my idol. All I've ever wanted to do is make people happy. You know, when Kermit says, we could make millions of people happy. I can remember hearing that as a child and just going, ah, that's what I want to do. I want to make millions of people happy. And somebody who wanted to make millions of people happy was told that he was going to go to hell. At, multiple times in my life from judgmental Christians always. And that doesn't mean that every Christian is like that. And there's, there's so many wonderful people. And I find actually generally Christians have actually gotten better. They've gotten way more well-behaved over time. You know, the, the children of the other Christians went, hey, I don't really appreciate how you talk to my friend, mom. You made my friend feel bad about the fact that he doesn't think what we think. That's not cool. Like, you know, if they want to get baptized, they can. I'll, I'm always here. The door is open. That's how it should be. Door is open. Let me know if you need my help. Not, you're not going to hell if you don't take my help. That's a sure way to push people away. And I actually think a lot of the crazy dogmatic positions of the left right now all come from people being told they're going to hell, getting this really dogmatic reaction um, from certain members of the population. Again, not everybody, but a little portion representing them not so good. So I honestly, I wrote this book as catharsis. And it was originally Mark Poulton's idea. Mark Poulton came to me and he wanted to do Thor and Odin and Loki. It was a long time ago now. It was like fucking 15 years ago as a band. Like, and he was like, and I want to do a behind the music on them, but I don't really know anything about music. I said, would you want to write it with me? And I said, sure. But can we make Jesus the bad guy? Because of the Northern Crusades, Jesus' disciples, they went around forcibly converting the, the people who believed in the Norse religion. Which yep, is the Crusades, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the, the Crusades is fucked up. All these religious wars are really fucked up. You know, Jesus never would have said, and now go punch people in the face on my behalf. Like never. You know, that wasn't what he was about. You know, Jesus had a had a fair view of things. He was talking to everybody. He had other ideas about his religion. He was challenging the, the norms of the time, and he was talking to the prostitutes, and he was talking to the, the, the beggars, and he, he was not looking down his nose at certain members of the population going, no to you, and no to you, and no to you. But meanwhile, the Jesus that we got through the eyes of these other people, these more judgmental people, these people who allowed themselves to go and crusade on Christ's behalf, they were uh, rather pushy. <laughs> You know? just, just so, a bit. Yeah, just a bit. You know, so really like the basis in my book of Jesus, like our, our editor, Aaron Sparrow, he was a little upset at one point. He wanted us to change a line. There was a line where Odin says, fuck Jesus. And he wanted me to change the line. And I said, no, Aaron. I said, the whole point of this setup that I have is so that we can say that because it's not really Jesus. It's Jesus if Jesus was like 
the guys who have been representing Jesus for a long time. Those mm -hmm. people have done Jesus a real disservice by being sort of cocky and self-righteous and making it like, I'm the son of God and everybody else sucks. And that attitude is a real quick way to get people kind of turn their ears off and not want to listen to you. And, and that's it. You know, that's the depiction of the book. And everybody kind of is depicted from the standpoint of the way they are represented in the culture by their followers. And all of the humor and the jokes are derived from that. But it's all just played for fun and played for laughs. And it's based on its own internal narrative and based on the sins of religion from a historical perspective to where we are now. You know, it's not right now representative. It's just historically how these things sort of seem to people. The book's called King of Kings because the King of Kings is the title that Jesus has held as the reigning champion for 13,000 years. But it's just a title. And that title can go to anyone in theory, you know, and it can go to anyone in our minds as an individual. You know, you can choose to follow anybody. I'm somebody though, who has come, like I've come full circle. I used to believe like I'm never going to get saved and like I, I don't need to get saved. I don't really believe in that, um, you know, but I like Jesus and Jesus is a good guy and I'm a good guy. And, and that's all I'm interested in being. And I really think that um, that there is no way in hell that that God will not let me into heaven because all I want is to do good things. So just don't worry about me. I'll prove to you that it's OK and it's safe. I'll die. I won't get baptized. And, and and I'll be there. I'll see you there. I'll wave to you. And you'll be like, oh, OK. That was just like something we were doing to pass time. Yeah, it was. Um, but now I've really come full circle through the other side. And I have such a deep appreciation of all religion, which I really consider to be this great, all these great historical documents and culture that has been left around. And I believe that the more of them you can absorb, even this little culture on this island here and this developing nation here and, you know, just just the, the Mongols and historical things, Rome and how it fell and why it fell and the money system. And if we don't learn our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And yeah. there is so much to learn. Welcome to the United States of Rome. Yes. And when you when you look at all of the religions in, in tandem, you you tend to just go, hey, wait a second. Everybody's talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, most of these religions are talking about a big flood, the antediluvian, you know, event. Like everybody, it's not a Catholic thing. It's not about Noah and the Ark. It's about this culture and this culture and this culture. They've all got a flood, and you know. And then when you get into stuff, you know, you open yourself up to like ancient aliens and stuff, and you start looking at all these different cultures that have all these different stories. You start looking at architecture and ancient architecture and structures that are existing on our planet that should not be here. And yep. things really start to go, whoa, 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 wait a second. Maybe I'm just going to bow down to Jesus and I'll bow down to the Buddha and I'll bow down to Mother Gaia and I'll bow down to the wall and I'll bow down to the air and I'll bow down to you and I'll bow down to you just in case because I'm pretty sure everything that I'm looking at is God. Yeah. If that's the case, then we better start being much nicer to each other because on the other side of things, we're going to have to have a talking to with ourselves about how badly we treated ourselves when we were down here and we didn't know that we were God. But yeah. we're and, all and you're going to you're going to be living in a in a great big giant, you know, hibachi grill. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. And I don't I don't like hot weather on the East Coast as it is. <laughs> Maybe because I'm old, fat, and uh, yeah, old and fat. We'll go Where are you from? Where, where do you live, Will? Um, I was born in the uh, the littlest state in the union, which is the dirtiest state in the union, Rhode Island, and now I live in Massachusetts. Oh, nice! I love Mass. Uh, I love some of the parts of Mass. Uh, people, not so much. Hey, man. Individuals yeah. are great. Groups suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People as a group, you can have them. One person at a time, I'll take them. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take them one at a time, man. I am I am willing to respect and look into the eyes of any individual, and I know I can walk away okay. But yeah. when people get into groups, I'm just like, I'll be over here. I don't even want to talk. That's yeah, okay. it, it's it's kind of like... Uh... Mel Brooks walking into the garden and everybody's in their own little cliques and he just looks at Oi Vate and walks out. <laughs> yeah. And like a lot of people, I think, are realize, you know, a lot a, if you divide them up kind of like 50-50, half the people already knew this. Oh, let's see what we got. Print, it's a printout that I, I had done a little while ago for the book. Oh, it's a double yeah, this was like a, a lettering pitch that we did. I'll just gonna show you guys a couple pieces from the book. But they, you know, this is like the beginning, our little introduction. Death ferryman. The one uh, commonality between all the religions is death. So he's our host. <laughs> I'm Death Ferryman, and you're watching the King of Kings tournament. Um, I, I I lampoon uh, Kiss and Gene Simmons here. If you're if you're a fan of musicians, especially rock stars. Every single group of gods are—they're the the Olymp—they're uh, the Greek gods—are based on some great musicians. Our main character Odin is based on Let Me Kill Meister. Uh, Thor's based on Zach Wild. Loki's kind of just based on real-world um, punk rock misfit fans. Uh, He's—he's got—he's got a band called the Mischiefs with a bunch of ice giants yeah. with the icicle hairdos. Um, but uh, you know, we have so many. This is. Vishnu, the one-man band. <laughs> he's fighting Muhammad, who's always obscured by his bodyguards or face masks or strange things. It's just the running gag of, how do we obscure him this time? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we, we just, this this book is such a labor of love. And, I mean, you know what? I'll, I'll say, I, I know you'll appreciate this world. Oh, here, it's my, my favorite picture. This is my Terry Gilliam send-up. Oh, the yeah, yeah. Hand of God taking out Odin in his eye. Um, the, um, you know, the, the coolest thing about comic books for me are the colors. Uh, my least favorite thing when, when things are being adapted is that they, they lose the colors. They, they, they like tone down the colors. They'll bring the colors down. Like, no, no, no. Don't you understand? They sold the Hulk based on the fact that that green and that purple complemented each other and it popped off that fucking cover. Because intelligent design went into the color design for every single character. And if it wasn't working, they'd go back and, okay, Hulk's not going to be gray anymore. He's going to be green. You know, and they would adjust these things until they got a color, you know, a color profile that popped out enough to grab somebody, uh, somebody's attention on the newsstand. And that really mattered to me. I, I think when people do independent books so often, that's the part that you don't realize you're missing. Not enough time went into the color design of the book. So 
nothing really pops out in the book. Everything looks a little kind of beige. Yeah. And we brought in my favorite color designers for Horseman Studios. As I told you, I'm a huge toy guy and um, you know, big uh, Masters Universe, He-Man Classics. I was just constantly blown away by the color choices that were being made on these action figures. Sometimes they'd have some toy. It was the exact same toy they already made. It was like one different thing, but they'd do some color change. And I'd be like, oh my God, this has completely changed my perspective on how amazing this sculpt is and this design is. And it's just, just a choice of colors. It's like the perfect choice of colors yeah and, did, did we bring up todd mcfarlane's spawn repaints at the big beginning of his toy company well that's all four horsemen studios four horsemen studios they're responsible for the greatest todd mcfarlane sculpts that they've ever done all the early not all the early stuff some of the first wave wasn't them but as mcfarlane got really good we got that those we started to get those things that evoke like we had that really stunted clown where he had the the gun the big guns on his shoulders i think that was one of the early um the early uh, four Horsemen studio designs, um, specifically for Eric Treadaway. Eric Treadaway is the reincarnation of Leonardo da Vinci, as far as I'm concerned. He is one of the greatest fucking artists on the planet. He is a living legend to me. This man can take lifeless stone and give it life. If you have not seen the Mythic Legions characters that they're doing, it's insane. He just change a head and then change the paint job a little bit. And these things look amazing. So I reached out to them. And I said, will you do my color designs? And we actually did we, we did a bunch of things together at the time. We, uh, my company actually produced the comic book for Mythic Legions, which was written by Greg Weissman. We hired Greg Weissman to do the story. And, uh, and we did an art book for Mythic Legions. And around that same time, I produced the art book for Mythic Legions thing. And they helped color design about 60 characters. So 60 characters in my stupid book. And, you know, they look the way they look. They pop the way they pop because they gave me options and because they're damn talented and good at what they do. I mean, just really like the, the stuff pops off the page. I mean, you know, this is a little poster that's in the center, but these are like all of the different characters that appear in the book. You can kind of make out different uh, religions that are being represented here, but they all pop in their own way. The colors are just beautiful. And then we got Andrew Dollhouse, who's one of the greatest colorists in the business. I, I just love Andrew's work. His stuff is uh, effervescent. Yeah. He colored the cover for Blacklight District. If you didn't ever get to read the image book that I put out, the music comic books called Blacklight District, there's a website that's free. It's www.blacklightdistrict.co. I couldn't afford the M. But it's still free as an art installation. Go check out all the art there. You can listen to all the songs there. It's really, really good. It's the only thing that I've ever worked on that I consider to be perfect, completely perfect. It came out exactly the way I wanted it to come out. And I, I believe that anybody who spends any time with it will say, wow, it's so cool. And it's not because of me. I mean, you know, granted, I, I, I'm, I helped get it done. But it's because I gave these artists space to do what, what felt good to them. And they gave me their best work. I got the late Jason Pearson. I've got four pages of beautiful Jason Pearson work in the Blacklight District comic. And oh, 
so glad that I have him there. And the, the song is all about freaking depression. I, I'm somebody who's dealt with a lot of depression. Jason Pearson's dealt with a lot of depression. And uh, I eventually reached out to him to do the book. And it came out so good. Everything everything about that came out good. We did a, a send up to Jack Kirby. Me and Phil Hester did it. Eric Larson provided old school uh, 1940s you know, coloring style. And uh, Chris Eliopoulos provided 1940s style lettering for that one. It was a labor of love. Um, you know, all these things, uh, you know, really are great because of the people that I let loose on them. So uh, it's easy for me to say I love it and it's great because I work with great people and I let I, I didn't get in their way. I stayed out of their way. I made sure that they were able to do the things that they do without them talking about. <laughs> yeah, when you were showing the hand of God piece, uh, X was like, that's awesome. And then is in total agreement with you. So true. So many mu muddy indie comics. Yeah. It's just something people don't really think about. You know, it's like I'm a, I'm a real like sort of big picture thinker. So uh, in studying and appreciating comics, I have a really wide view of what there is to appreciate and what's so interesting about them and how they've been able to become this art form that they are. Uh, you know, things like the revisionist history that exists in comics, you know, uh, so-and-so, uh, you know, Bob Kane creates Batman, Bill Finger helps add to that piece. He adds some of the greatest Batman things that there are. Yeah. Uh, you know, the next creator comes along and he throws out some of the ideas that, uh, you know, Bob and Bill had. And he introduces some of his new ones. The next guy comes in. He goes, I didn't like those guys things. I'm going back to Bob and Bill's things. Or he goes, I like some of those things, but I'm going to adjust them in this way. And over time, we refine, refine and refine and refine. And then you end up with the fucking Batman mythology, which, oh, my God. I mean, the Batman, the, the, the fact that I could. I could hand you a hundred, a hundred brilliant Batman graphic novels tomorrow. A hundred that I would say, don't worry, you will enjoy every single one of these. And if I put them in the right order, you'll enjoy them even more. Okay, well, let me know when they ship out. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it's, like, it's just insane to me, though, how much historically brilliant work has already been done. And these motherfuckers can't stop stepping on their own dicks. To this day, my mom thinks Batman's a boring character. And I'm like, that's because we still haven't gotten Batman on the big screen. Yep. Uh, the, and, and now uh, we're all excited about uh, Michael Keaton coming back. And we are because you know we've got fucking fond memories. I mean, so, so many people started reading Batman because of that movie. You know, I, I know one of my best friends, Greg, who got me into Batman in the first place. He got into Batman after he saw the movie, and he was like, "I want more of this." And he went out and he sucked out the comics, and then when he started reading the comics, he went, "These are even better!" Like, holy shit, that movie's like shit compared to these fucking comic books. And, and, and I'm 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 a I'm a tad bit older than you, so uh, how old are you? Fifty-three. Okay, I'm 40, so yeah, you're you're kind of uh, you're kind of standard age group for me. I was always hanging out with the older kids. Yeah, yeah you know, we could buy the beer. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what when I was like three and four years old, you know, my mother would put on like some kids programming, you know, in the morning, give me my bowl of, you know, make me my breakfast, and then afterwards I could go go from the breakfast table into the parlor and and watch a little tv before 
have to get hauled off to school. And Scooby-Doo was just finishing. And then Batman 66 came on. And the popping colors. And I have been a diehard fan of Cesar Romero ever since. <laughs> I even have his autograph. That's funny. See, it, well, so because of the generational thing, I, I came up actually fighting against that show so hard because comic books were so much deeper. Um, you know, when I was reading, I was so surprised actually by how how much depth they had and um, and how it wasn't just bang, pow, zoom. And so for me, uh, when I would have friends, like the first thing that they would say when they saw me reading a comic was like, ah, bang, pow, zoom. And I would always be like, fuck that shit, man. Comics are cool. <laughs> so I was always saying, no, that sucks. Come read the comic books. But I do understand people who were coming up at that time that it was so much of the early introduction to these characters and these concepts. And even when they're being done in that really campy way is still fun and still interesting and uh, you know they do i, I like the burgess Ber, uh, uh, meredith as uh, the penguin <laughs> yeah but then then ah. like after the 80s every time you see an episode you know in passing with burgess playing the penguin in the back of your mind you hear come on bruce it's not a crime to duck yeah 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 so it's it's so fun seeing who about the evolution of characters and oh, the, the revisionist history of characters. It's so amazing. It's so amazing that something like a great good example I was talking about with my buddies the other day. So amazing that we can have a storyline like um, Emerald Twilight, which uh, if you didn't read Emerald Twilight, uh, that was the storyline where. Um, and I didn't actually read this at the time. I've read some of the issues uh, after the fact. But it was the one where Hal Jordan uh, goes nuts because uh, Coast City gets blown up. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes to the, the Guardians, and he's like, oh, my God. You're like, you got it. Oh, no, no, sorry. Basically, he recreates Coast City, and then the Guardians chastise him for it and like be like, you're misusing your powers, and they try to strip him of his powers, and he goes nuts. And at the time, people who were fans of Hal Jordan – and for many, 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 many years to come, they were quite salty about that send-off of their favorite character. And yeah. told everybody, if your favorite character gets done dirty, like my favorite character, Wally West, has, like my other favorite character, Nightwing, has, I fucking name my children after these characters, and Wally has now killed somebody, and fucking Nightwing... Oh my God! So many stupid things have been done to that damn character since I stopped reading the book. I don't go near it now because I, I I don't want them to break my heart. He's one of my favorite fucking characters, and um, but thank God to the miracle of the revisionist history, Jeff Johns can write Green Lantern Rebirth, and he can explain parts of Emerald Twilight in a new way that actually makes us feel better about Emerald Twilight, that mm. increases the value and the quality of Emerald Twilight by introducing these ideas retroactively to make us happier um, with what it all meant. Oh no, he was corrupted. He was corrupted the whole time. We didn't know Parallax was in the battery and he was poisoning Hal Jordan's brain. Hal Jordan was essentially mind controlled. He didn't really know what he was doing. And he's been the specter. He's been paying his penance. And now... We're going to make it all right. 
Oh my god! And not for nothing, that whole Spectre thing was awful. When he was, I the mean, I mean, I bought it all, but <laughs> I never read that book. That was a, it was that one. I I kept nearly picking it up. I was working at Planet Comics at the time, and I remember, I, you know, the first issue had come out maybe a year or two before I was working at that store, and I saw that book. So it was like a, a dozen issues into the run, and I kept going. Do I start the storyline late? I'm like, everybody's kind of like this about it. But I, I did want to read it because I didn't know anything about how. And I, at the time, I was still in my earlier stages where I was just studying, studying comics, to learning about all the characters. I wanted to know what mattered. You know, what a big deal. What it matters in the real world. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, Julie says, I like this guy. Oh, well, full disclosure here. That's my beautiful girlfriend, Julie Brightigan. Hi, sweetie. Thanks oh, for a, a redhead. I hate you. Get off my show. Oh. <laughs> I got lucky. I hit the I hit the jackpot. I got myself a, a beautiful, fiery, ass-kicking redhead. Hi, Julie. Love you, baby. Thanks for watching. Um, Hex says, LOL, Rocky. And then now do that with Star Wars. <laughs> I love Rocky's like a, another fandom of mine. I fucking love Rocky. Rock, Rocky's a funny one too, in terms of like that thing of like not giving the audience what they want. Rocky mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, amazing films. Rocky five, <laughs> tone deaf. Like we've just spent four movies watching the meteoric rise of Rocky Balboa. And then all of a sudden, you put on Rocky Five, and he's broke and depressed, and his kid hates him, and he's fighting with his wife, and he's injured and retired, and he's training some bum who's not a fucking appreciating him, and he ends up fighting him in the street for nothing at the end of the movie. That movie is just so sad. It's just like, and I know he's like, well, this is what happens to a lot of the boxers. Rocky wasn't a boxer. He was a myth. He was fucking Superman. He had superpowers. He made us feel like we could do anything. And then Rocky V just destroyed all of our childhood dreams. <laughs> but they did erect a statue of Rocky. Which was funny. He goes, oh, that's cool. Yeah. What's it like having a medical history in your town? Um, well, uh, Will, I, I can kind of only stay like 10 more minutes because I got to okay. put, put my babies to bed in, in a little bit because I'm in a New York time over here. And, um, and I've got yeah, we're at the same time. Tomorrow. But, um, but yeah, if I'm so, if, if I could t tell you all, um, uh, the, the campaign is going to go live um, probably, what, what are we in right now? It's April. Um, yeah. I'm still figuring out. It might be going live as soon as like uh, beginning of May, but I might wait until the mid-May. Like I said, I've got a, a podcast that's been coming out and we're building a little bit of an audience and I'm trying to just give an opportunity for people to find their way to the book. Right now, you can go on to, King of, uh, go on to uh, Kickstarter's website and if you type in King of Kings number one, it, you'll find it under comics and you can sign up to be notified for when it launches. And uh, if you do that, I hope to be your best friend. And uh, and if you're on Twitter and you want a, a casual whatever, follow me there. You'll see me 
talking about it, announcing it when it comes out. Um, you know, and uh, you know, and if you do any listening to podcasts, I'll, I'll be talking about it in my podcast as we we lead up to it. The three episodes that uh, I'm working on right now are all about the Last Jedi. We're breaking that down, uh, you know, just for fun as like a writing exercise. Crashing it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I actually spent my third episode praising it and talking about all the things about it that I really liked because people like that movie. A lot of people really did like that movie and were ready to defend it. There's certain things that people were defending, like that Rose Tico character, that were insane. People were not defending Rose Tico for the right reasons. They were. It was all ideology and no yep. logic. Rose Tico was a stupid character because Finn... He already had a love interest. Her name was Ray, and that was established in the previous movie. And Finn wasn't interested in Rose, so the audience wasn't interested in Rose being pushy, trying to get into his life, because he wasn't interested in her. He was literally stopped by her while he was trying to escape to go find Ray and warn her about something. And the first thing that she does in the movie is violate Finn's free will. She freaking tases him and, and threatens to throw him in the brig because she thinks he's deserting. What like All of these things are things that do not make an audience like you. And then after you make the audience dislike the character because she's being too forceful and in your face to Finn, uh, being the love interest that he doesn't want and violating his free will, then you give her some kind of generally nice things to do and sweet things to say as if you as a writer are trying to make us like her. Now your audience goes, fuck you. I don't want to like her. You already made her do a bunch of things that I don't like. I'm not going to like her. And, and then people were defending her because she was an Asian woman. And, not, and it's not that she's a bad actress. Not, she is perfectly serviceable. It's the script. It's the yep. story. It's what they did with her. That's what people on Twitter were trying to talk about. And you kept making it about bullshit that you think is important. That wasn't important to the colorblind and not sexist fans of geek culture. Star Wars fans are not fucking sexist. We're not assholes. We're, we're, we are loving these myths because there are Jedi out there trying to do the right thing. Because we see that there's corruption in the world. And we like that there's somebody fighting against it. Because we see people uh, being hurt and, and, and bad things being done. And we respect that Superman and even the Punisher are getting up every day and trying to do something to make it just a little better. That is the audience that you're talking to. And so when you start telling that audience that they're sexist creeps, you're really missing the point completely. <laughs> and you're just alienating yourself from what I think is the greatest damn fandom on the planet, the greatest group of people on the planet, the people who want to see a better world. Everybody else is wrapped up in getting their freaking dicks wet and who they're fucking and, and how much money they're making and how cool they look to society. Most comic geeks have already get, I don't give a shit how I look to society. I like these kind of things. I'm going to enjoy them. and I'm not going to let people make fun of me or whatever else. I'm going to immerse myself in fantasy stuff that tells me about a better world because I see the world as having the possibility to be better. And that's the world that I want to live in. And I want to be thinking about a world that is better. So it's just, it all just makes me sad. Either, watch, either I'm going to throw up or I'm going to cry. I just go back and forth between, oh my God, you people make me sick. And oh, I'm going to cry about it. Uh, and then I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to do a Kickstarter for King of Kings and uh, take the world by storm. So please help me. Help me help you. If I succeed, it's not just me. It's 
It's my buddy Aaron, who's a brilliant writer and a brilliant editor, and all my artist friends like Steve Kurth and James Silvani and Nathan Watson and all these people who I want to work with and make things with. I'm sitting on so many wonderful ideas, wonderful comics, things that, that I just haven't been able to do. I, I just keep collecting great ideas going, ah, well, too bad I can't get paid to do that right now. Too bad I can't get paid to do that right now. Well, fuck that. I'm going to figure out how to pay myself to do these great ideas and to do them with the love that I like to see put into comics because comics are not for me as the person creating them. They're for the audience that I'm creating them for. And I, I've made this stuff for the world to make everybody laugh, to make everybody smile. Like Kermit said, to make millions of people happy. So this is step one. If you want to see millions of people be happy, that's what I'm trying to do. Please help me. Help me help you. Help me help you make a happier world. I, and fuck Kathleen Kennedy. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> she just so clearly does not fucking know what she's doing. That the, 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 the Last Jedi is just the biggest indictment of that woman's brain that there is. Like, like I'm sorry, I don't care. Kathleen Kennedy is clearly a moron who does not know what she is doing. She had one job, make a new trilogy. And she had no plan in place for what were the beats of the trilogy storyline. She let asshole Rian Johnson, and I say asshole because I really think, especially after analyzing the movies, that there is just multiple points of evidence that he was mocking the audience on purpose. He was he chose to make a number of different jokes that they're funny in a very specific way. And just like him, Kathleen Kennedy, she doesn't have any respect for this shit. She doesn't get this shit. And she just thinks that she can make this movie like any other movie that she might produce in Hollywood. And to have made that movie with no fucking plan for what was going to come after it, how it was all going to shake out, these are the idiots that are getting fucking promoted, man. This is it. This is why you always have a manager at your work and you're like, oh my God, this fucking asshole who's above me. Because the assholes rise to the top. Not the talented people. The assholes. Because they're pushy. The pushy people get pushed to the top. They push themselves to the top. Standing on everybody's freaking face and not giving two craps about it. And people like me, we, we literally like... And I'll stand up for myself. There's a lot of things that I'll do. but. It's hard for me to, to 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 make an editor or make somebody hire me, like, like to try to convince them. Like I will present them with my stuff. I will tell them, I really think I did a great job here. Really, please give this your time. But that's it. You know, at, at that point, it's it's read the thing. I'm not gonna try to manipulate you. I'm not going to play hard to get. I'm not going to drop my dad's name. I'm not going to drop you some money. I'm not going to kiss ass and play games. I'm going to do the best work that I could possibly do. I'm going to present it to you. And then it's up to you to recognize the merit of what I did and go, this has merit. Let's do something with this. And the people at the top, they have no taste. They don't trust their taste. They don't know what they like. They're constantly looking around to each other of like, do I like that? Should I like? Should I like this? Is that is that something that we like? Do do we? I don't I don't know. I, I'm not sure if we like it yet. I'll let you know if we like that next week. 
this is just spineless people, spineless decision yep. making. Welcome and, to the Hollywood Bowl where there's always a floater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, there's always a floater. And and I mean, and honestly, like for a long time, I went, oh, I need to guide this missile to its mark. You know, I need to uh, like they're trying to turn all this IP into more and they're screwing it up because they don't really they're not looking at it the right way. They're not understanding what they're dealing with. I do. I need to get in there and I need to help them. Well, now we're entering a new age where everything that they've done for the past bunch of years is about to implode. And as soon as this implosion happens, it's going to be this fucking Kickstarter industry and this Indiegogo industry of comic makers doing it on their own that is going to be the new industry. And I want to be here when it happens so I can take advantage of the damn vacuum and help us make some better fucking comic books. And I promise if I do, I will make sure that people are getting paid right. And I'll make sure that people own a piece of the book that they're working on. I will make sure that this shit is done well. I will make sure that we have quality comics. I will try and do as much as I can to use my powers for the absolute good. You know, that that's what this medium has inspired me to do. Be the best man that I can be. To be a superhero without a costume, walking around in the world, trying to help people. And that's what I do. I try to help people. I make music and I make comic books and I, I make them with the intention that I might help somebody. I might give somebody a nice song to cry about, or I might give them a nice song to empower them and lift them up, or I might give them a great book to make them think and move things forward in their mind and feel better or inspire them. You know, this is it. These are the things that make the world go round. People who inspire you, people who teach you, learning moments, like the best music, the best comic books, that's what they do. And nowadays, I just feel like the majority of the material it's just a lot of people kind of waving their uniqueness in your face. You know, it's like like the self-insert thing has, has become very big. Like, oh yeah, I well, I like it for the fans, like in the in the crowdfunding world where you can pay a certain fee to the campaign to have yourself drawn into like a panel in the book, so you could say. Hey, look, it's actually me. I'm right there. That's great. It's the thing where the lead character of your book is you. you. Yes. I I have never written myself into a single comic that I've ever written until just recently. And only because it's a huge fucking ensemble. And one of the characters' names was given to me by editorial as Jesse, this older character. And I was like... Oh, I'm like, this is kind of cool. He's a cowboy. My family, all of the members of my family were all named after cowboys. And uh, there was like a little bit of aesthetic. And I was like, you know what? I kind of see this guy. As kind of, if I make him a little bit like my dad, I can make a really unique character out of him if I base him just a little here. Because Guns and Angels is being put up by Merck Publishing. Uh, we just fundraised the Zero issue a few months ago. They made like $87,000 or whatever. Oh, nice. uh, and the number one issue is about to be fundraised in a little bit. But this is all Merck Publishing doing it themselves. Like, you know, I just have a small stake in the, the book that I'm doing for them. But, um, you know, because of the huge cast and, you know, I'm looking for inspiration to make each of the characters unique you know and and 
I finally went, okay, you know, I can kind of base some of this on my family dynamic because I, that's, that's a dynamic I know, and I can pull good stories out of that. But I was presented with a framework that made sense for me to utilize personal stories that I have to make it better. People are just going into this thing going, you know who needs to have a voice? Me. No. (laughs) Use these characters to tell stories that make sense to them, that make sense to tell with them. Tell Batman stories with Batman and tell Superman stories with Superman. Don't tell Batman stories with Superman. You know, for and you don't tell Michael Bendis stories about Superman. Oh my god, that was all very disappointing. I was, you know, I was, I was kind of out at that point. I, I, I've been, I've been very light in terms of the mainstream comics and and reading anything like monthly for for a long time now, just because I, I had four kids and, and money's been tight for a long time, and I couldn't rationalize how much money I was spending every uh, month on comic books. So you know, my monthly reading has gone down a lot, um, but. It's a good time to not be reading mainstream comics, if you know what I mean. Um, Let me me tell you, I bought my first comic book with money my mother gave me, like change from like the Sunday paper and prescriptions, and we had a spinner rack. I bought my first comic off the rack. It was uh, Detective Comics, I think 411. I still have the book. The same book that I bought in 1974 is the only one I kept all these years. And it gave me a stupendous love for the original character of the Creeper. Because it's I've the Creeper. Made me love the Creeper. I like the Creeper. Kicking Batman in the face as he's being launched towards a lion's cage in a zoo. And that image has always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um Angela Reinhardt says, uh, you are gold. Oh, thanks, Angela. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I got to go, Will. I got to go put yep, my... We got we to gotta cut this. Got to put the kids to sleep. Uh, but- I also, in a roundabout way, named my daughter after a comic book character. Oh, yeah? Who? Um, I named her after the... I named her after the actress that played the comic book character in the first Spider-Man movie. Kirsten. Oh. In Dunst, but oh, not, nice. not, not completely. And, and then she came out a redhead. Ah, because, ah, probably because I was a redhead, now I'm a grayhead. Uh, my mother was a redhead. My father was a oh, you know, usually you, uh, you, you, you redheads, uh, you know, kind of notorious for not going gray a lot of times. Yeah, it, that might have been true if my mother hadn't gone gray at the age of like 27. All right, you got the, you're one of the red one of the redheads who go gray. Yeah, and and now I'm now I'm a bald head. I go, well, if I shave all the hair off, I feel and look younger. <laughs> Great. Whatever it takes. I suck the souls of babies from their face to feel and look <laughs> like the fucking Harry Potter <laughs> sucking their souls out. <laughs> well, dude, thanks so much for uh, hanging out and talking a little bit of everything tonight. Uh, follow Jesse on Twitter at CoolestGeekJBS. Go subscribe to his YouTube channel at Coolest Geek Alive, and uh, make sure you sign up for this book so you're notified upon launch and get all the updates that come with it. It's free to sign up, 
and that way you know what's coming out. If you've been a fan of any type of music and you're into like the group battles or the band battles to see, you know, popularity contest and everything else, uh, you're gonna you're gonna really like this book. Yeah, we definitely play on a lot of conventions. It's but it's more than a battle of the bands because so in the, the religious idea, right? If you want to sing your sermon, you have to defeat the other religion. So it's a battle and then music for whoever wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that way we get the action and we get the music. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Feel free to reach out to me uh, when, whenever, especially you will. And anybody, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm available. And um, and I, I really do hope that you will support King of Kings number one when it comes uh, you know, to Kickstarter in just a few weeks. Awesome. Thanks, man. Good luck with the book. And we'll be staying in touch and sharing it out for you. My pleasure. Thanks again, Will. Really appreciate it. Great, great chat with you. Thanks. Have a good night. Bye-bye, you too.